Well, I want to begin this new series with a familiar story to many, a portion of a familiar story out of the Old Testament, and it's a portion of the life of a man named David. David was, of course, anointed the second king of Israel, and he was after Saul. The people of the Israelites had been asking for a king. God didn't want to give them a king. He wanted to lead them by faith. But he acquiesced and gave them a king, and the king was Saul, and things didn't go too well with Saul. And so God found a young man named David and anointed him king. And then David came on the scene and slew Goliath, which is probably the most famous story out of David's life. And, and that upped his influence in the Israelite community. And Saul became a little jealous as David became more and more influential. And so David had this tension with Saul. But God helped him through that tension, and eventually... David became the king of the Israelites, and he became known as a man after God's own heart. He was a mighty warrior, strong in battle. He had many men who fought well with him. They conquered in many ways. God blessed the Israelite people at that time, and and David had a good, strong reign. But in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we read about a dark period in David's life. This little portion of his life is a time when he went into hiding and was was a different kind of man because of some things that had happened in his life. It says, in the springtime, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent out Joab, one of his soldiers, with his men to fight battle for him. David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, the Bible says. Bible's an interesting book. He saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent a messenger and had her brought to him, and she came, and it says David slept with her. Then she went back home, and the woman conceived and sent word to David say, I am pregnant. So David got nervous. And David sent for Uriah, her husband, and tried to do some things with Uriah, and it didn't go so well. So finally David sent Uriah to the front lines in battle and told the general or or his leading soldier to have, when, when Uriah's at the front of the lines, have everyone withdraw so Uriah can be struck down. So this is what David did, and Uriah was struck down by an arrow, the Bible tells us. At this point, David feels like maybe he's covered over his behavior well, and he's kind of in hiding about it and maybe going to get away with it. But the Bible says, to be sure, your sins will always find you out. Your your misdoings will find you out. And so the Lord sent Nathan, a prophet Nathan, to David. And this prophet came, and sometimes the Lord... You know, needs to show us some things about ourselves. And so he uses other people. He sends Nathan there. Nathan came to him and told him a little story. And the story went like this. There's two men. There's a very rich man who has lots of sheep and cattle. And then right beside him lives a very poor man. And listen to the description of this poor man. He has one ewe, which he bought when the ewe was younger, a little sheep. He raised it. He grew, it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup. It even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. That's some kind of little sheep. 
Now a traveler came to the rich man's house. The prophet Nathan tells this story to David. A traveler came to the rich man's house. And the traveler needed some food. And so the rich man went to the poor man's house, took his little ewe, and used that to serve the meal. As David was listening to this story, the Bible says he became indignant and burned with anger against that man. This man deserves to die, David said. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Now, 2 Samuel 12, verse 7, Nathan looks at David and says, David, you are the man. The God of Israel says this, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house. I gave you your family. And I would have done much, much more for you. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what was evil in his eyes? You struck down the Uriah the Hittite. You murdered him. You, you committed adultery. You lied. I tell you this whole story to get to this phrase. Then David said to Nathan, verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. We're starting this series called More Than Words. And this word goes, this, this series goes right out of the heart of us as teachers. When we're teaching up here, we, we're really called to teach the Bible. One of the challenges in teaching the Bible is the Bible was originally written in the Hebrew and Greek language, and then it's interpreted to English, and there's these words then that are used in the Bible to describe spiritual realities of which you really can't see. You can't see these realities, but God reveals them to us in His Word, and then sometimes the words that were used to interpret these realities or display these realities are not in our everyday language, for sure. They're hard to understand. They're hard to grasp. And sometimes when we say them, a word like holy or justification or or the kingdom of God, we say one thing and people hear another. Oftentimes as teachers, we'll use the word Christian up here. It was last year at some point, somebody came up to me in the hallway and said, now what do you guys exactly mean when you say the word Christian? Well, I kind of know what I mean, and they maybe kind of think they know what I mean, but we might be missing ourselves. This happens all the time. My mother-in-law got a new smartphone last year, and she was learning how to use the smartphone, you know, and of course, my kids, her grandchildren, use these little phones texting each other and all this stuff all the time. And so she's going to try and connect with the grandchildren a little bit. So she's having a little fun learning how to text and, and do this kind of thing. And so she'll start sending texts to my kids. And they were a little confusing to them. Because she would send this text, Hope you had a great day. LOL. (laughs) And my kids thought it's strange at first, but it just went on and on and on. Good luck on the test tomorrow. LOL. (laughs) Hope you have a great weekend. LOL. Why, why is, they call her Nan, why is Nan wanting us to laugh at everything? Why is she laughing at everything? So finally they went and asked her, Nan, why why do you put LOL at the end of every text? Well, she said, because I have lots of love for you. Lots of love. 
She's saying one thing, they're hearing another. Communication doesn't happen. Sometimes we say something in here. People, individuals hear all kinds of different things. And the concept doesn't get across. So we're going to take words that the Bible uses to describe spiritual realities. And we're going to try and unpack the spiritual reality behind them. So when we use that word, you know what we mean. So I want to start with these two words. They're in this phrase. This phrase comes really right out of interpretation of how they're used in the Bible. The Bible says, God is righteous. That's the first word I, I want to you know, mention to you today. Righteous. We are sinners. Sinners. What do we mean when we say righteous or sinner? I want to start with that word sin. That word sin, we've said many times in here, it's the root word of sinner. And to really understand sinner, it's helpful to understand the root word. When we use the word sin, we're talking about its history comes out of archery. And so back in the time the Bible was written, bows and arrows were used a lot more. There were lots of archery competitions. We still have them today. To help you understand just the basic of sin, you know, the nature of sin, think about yourself as an, at, an, at an archery tournament, and there's a bullseye, and the intent of the tournament is to hit the bullseye. And you get three arrows, three opportunities, and so it's your turn, you step up, and you're going to shoot your arrow, and you're a pretty good archer, and so you pull back the bowstring, and you shoot, shoot that first arrow, and it hits the bullseye, and you have an announcer that's announcing what happened. They say, bullseye one point. You're a pretty good archer, so you draw your next arrow and you pull it back and you shoot. And you actually split the first arrow right in the bullseye. Bullseye, one point. You got two points. You step up with your third arrow. You're feeling pretty good about yourself. And something distracts you or something. And you're off a little bit and you shoot that And it goes outside the intent of a scored point, misses the target. And the announcer, you wouldn't really hear this in our day, but this is what the word sin means. They say, sin. No points. We would understand it better in tennis. If you've ever watched tennis and professional tennis, they have these, you know, line judges that stand on the lines and When you're playing tennis and you have to hit it, the intent of tennis is to keep it inside the lines. And when it goes outside the line, anybody know what they yell? Fault. Simply means it was outside the intended region for what you were going to get to score the point. And so they yell fault. They could just as well yell sin. This is what David was saying. Move this into the spiritual realm when he said, I have sinned against the Lord. He created me, David was saying. He put me in this world, sent me in this world to live in a certain way. And David knew this. He knew the Ten Commandments, God's boundaries. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Thou shalt not covet. David had been coveting his neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not murder. David knew he was out of bounds, spiritually speaking. That's why he said, I have sinned, missed God's intent for my life. Now, this really isn't that big of a concept to understand. Most of us would get this concept. Sin happens all the time. 
Sin affects our world nearly every second of every day. Literally. The Bible says, all have sinned. All have missed the mark. That means Mother Teresa sinned. Billy Graham sinned. All the popes that have lived have sinned. You and I have sinned. We have, in our life, fallen short or missed God's intent. Sometimes I sin. The Bible says anything not done from faith is sin. Sometimes I sin simply by worrying. God didn't intend people to worry. That's not His intent for our life. When we worry, we sin. Sometimes good things in our lives can be turned into sin. God gave us the gift of rest. When rest turns into slothfulness, then it moves into something God didn't intend. When we start shirking responsibilities God has given us to do, and He prompts us to do them, but we don't do them, we're missing His intent for us. Those are sins, what the what we would call sins of omission. David is talking about sins of commission, things that he committed. But there's good things we could do that if we don't do, miss God's intent. Sins happen everywhere. They hurt us. They hurt each other in relationships. They bring all kinds of pain into the world. But they're not the root of the problem. The problem is not really primarily behavioral. I'm going to take you to Psalms 51 where David begins to understand and have a real great insight into himself. Psalm 51, he says, and he begins this. And this is a psalm he wrote, a very personal message from his heart. It would actually be turned into a song after he was confronted with the prophet Nathan. And he's aware of this sin. He begins this psalm and he says, Have mercy on me, O God. Why would David... Be asking for mercy. He knows he's outside the intent. I mean, I remember John McEnroe. When he would hit a ball and it would be called out out of bounds sometimes, he would sometimes argue with the officials. Or you You just didn't see him asking for mercy if it was out. Mercy is something you go to a judge and ask for. I think David would be asking for mercy from God because he knows the nature of God. He understands... What the Bible has said about God, that God is righteous. So here's the other word I want to look at. And you'll see this in the psalm. Righteous means that in God, there is nothing wrong. He is morally flawless, perfect in who he is, and perfect in everything he does. And so you're going to see this in David's heart. He understands that God is the standard the moral frame of reference. And God is righteous. There's nothing wrong with Him. Flawless morally in His nature. And so everything that comes out of His nature is perfect and right. And so He understands that since God is perfect and I violated His ways, there should be some sort of justice or judgment brought to me. And because He understands that, He's saying, God, would You not punish me in the way my sin deserves Would you have mercy on me? Have mercy on me. Mercy is saying, don't treat me the way I deserve. My wife and I have a little fun with this. 
We often, we have a relative who, who often will all of a sudden indulge in some pleasure and they'll say, well, I deserve this. And they say it so much, you just start to say, okay, well, you deserve this and you deserve this and you deserve this. And, and last night my wife was, we had a long day and, and she was sitting on the couch beside me and she had fixed herself a nice refreshment drink and we were watching TV and it had been a long week and, and I looked at her and I smiled and I said, huh, you, you're just really enjoying yourself. And she looked at me and smiled and said, well, I deserve this. David said, I know what I deserve. The Bible says the wage of sin, the consequence of sin, what's due us when we violate God's moral law is simply this, death. Eternal separation from God, physical death, spiritual death. It's a darkness cast out of the presence of all that's good. The wage of sin is death. So he begins by saying, God, have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. He's, he's appealing to another part of the righteous nature of God, His love. He has perfect justice, for, perfect judgment, perfect love. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, another word for sin. Wash away my iniquities, another word for sin. Cleanse me from my sin. So God is righteous, morally flawless, perfect in who He is. David is coming to a revelation about himself. He hasn't just sinned, it's deeper. David says this, For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me, against you and you only have I sinned. His only frame of reference for judgment, for his moral standing, is God and God alone. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. And then David writes Psalm 51, verse 6. And I want you to just let this verse just settle in on you. This is a foundation, a, a foundational belief in a Christian worldview. David says this, Surely, I haven't just sinned. I haven't just screwed up once or twice, three times. Surely, he says, there is something wrong with my very nature. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful. From the time my mother conceived me. I want you to let that settle in on you because it's not a popular belief in our world today. It really isn't. A sinner is a person whose very nature, the very nature of who they are, is morally flawed. The very nature of who they are falls short of God's original intent. The Bible says God is righteous, perfectly right in His nature. And we are sinners, morally flawed. And quite frankly, we don't like that. It's not a fun thing to say about yourself. 
And I, I understand in our culture there's a whole spectrum of beliefs around this. On one end, there are people who come in here and say, Tim, you are absolutely right. I've been screwed up from the day I was born. I know that. I'm still screwed up today. There are some people who just feel that all the time. And for some people, they have a low self-esteem because they sense that. I want to talk to you in a second. On this end of the spectrum, there are people who say, you know, I don't know, Tim. I mean, the Bible says that, but I look around and most people are pretty good. And I'm pretty good. I mean, I, I'm pretty responsible and, you know, I feed my children or I do my homework or go to, go to my work and, and you know, I'm pretty nice for the most part. I mean, I'm nice to most people. And, and here's, here's where the frame of reference comes in. Pretty nice compared to who? And then what does niceness have to do with it? And I, I certainly am no marathon bomber. And the question on the spectrum is, in our world, what's the standard? What are you measuring yourself against? Sure, compared to someone who sets a bomb and blows up innocent people or or all the evil that happens around the world, maybe you're doing pretty good. But when you throw God out of the equation and you kind of eliminate Him from our thinking, it all becomes pretty relative. But when you do what David did, And you begin to sense, look, it doesn't matter how I compare to other people around me. It's against Him that I need to judge myself. He sets the standards. He sets the rules. He sets the moral boundaries. And according to Him, how am I doing? He's perfectly pure and righteous in His nature. When you use Him as your standard, then how are you doing? And the Bible says as if... If you have so much of broken one, just one little itsy bitsy, given a deception, well, you fall short of the whole law. It's a fault out. Why does a person do that? Because their very nature is inclined that way. We are sinners. Our nature is broken. We're made in the image of God. There's much good potential in us. We see that around the world. If you're on this side and you have a low self-esteem or or maybe you're starting to say, hey, maybe I should consider whether I'm a sinner or not. Maybe you're down here and you, you've known you're a sinner, but you've never experienced love. This is why I think the church and the ministry of Jesus Christ is so important. The Bible reveals that our natures are flawed. I've been encouraged by a number of people to go into politics. Politics can do a lot of good. Government can do a lot of good. 
But they can't change the nature of a person. They can shape behavior, restrict evil. They can do these kind of things with laws. But they can't reach down in and change the nature of a person. Business is good. I went to school for business. There's lots of business people in our church family. It's very good. It can provide jobs for people. It can be productive. It can meet people's needs. Business is good. But business doesn't have the power to reach down in and change the nature of a person. But see, here's the mystery of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. The mystery of the gospel is this. By the power of God, through the love of God, you and I can be given a new nature. God is righteous, which means out of Him comes this justice, this wrath for sin, and also perfect love and perfect compassion. Romans 5.8 tells us this. God demonstrates His love, and even more than this, He demonstrates His wrath, His justice, all of this. Romans 5.8. He demonstrates who He is and His love for us in this. While we were yet morally flawed in our nature, separated from Him because we're broken in here, Christ took the penalty took our nature to death with Him so that we could live in new life. The hope of our world is not political. It's not economic. It really is spiritual. It's the power of God working in the hearts of men and women who are morally flawed in their nature. And what He wants to do in His love, in His mercy, in His kindness, is give us a new nature. A whole new nature. I want you to follow along this. Romans 5.19 Just as through the disobedience of one man, this is Adam, back from Genesis, how sin came into the world. Just as through the disobedience of one man, Adam, the many were made sinners... Sinners, morally flawed in their nature, so also through the obedience of one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous, perfectly pure in their nature. That's good news. That is really good news. That's the hope of the world. God working in the hearts of men and women to change the very nature of who they are. And then their behavior starts to change as they learn to walk in that new nature. How will God do this? Romans 4.24 God will credit righteousness to us. It's not something we earn. It's something He will give to us. And when will He give it to us? God will credit righteousness to us for those of us who believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Now there's another big word I'm not going to get into. Where does it come from? It's a free gift. This is why religion, the idea of trying to work your way to God, is just useless. But crying for mercy is our hope. I had a lady come in my office last week, and we were talking about her life, and then we were talking about her that time she turned her life over to Christ, and she sensed what happened in her spirit, and she said, Tim, how do you explain that to someone? I said, well, you know, this." and before I could really get to maybe how I would explain it, she said, let me tell you how I explain it. I said, okay. And she said, take out a piece of paper. So I took out a piece of paper. She said, draw a line down the middle. 
And I, I think I have this on a screen. Draw a line down the middle and then put a line across the top and so it looks like a little cross there. Do we have that? And she said, she said on one side, so you think of a cross in the middle, on one side up above, put your name. And on the other side up above, put the name of Jesus. So I did this and I had it there. And now she said, below your name, list all of the things that you know you've done wrong before God. Now I mentioned a few of them. And I keep it pretty safe when I'm up here, you know, in front of all these people. But I remember one time when I was younger and my best friend in elementary school, his parents brought him a new Honda motorcycle. And I'm going to be honest, I was jealous. I coveted that motorcycle and I know in that coveting, I was breaking God's moral law. And so jealousy would be there. I've had a few people do things to me that I didn't think was appropriate or they shouldn't have done. And to be honest, I've had trouble forgiving them. And I've had to work through forgiveness. And sometimes when I think about those things, i got to re-forgive them. And so I have an unforgiveness in my nature that sometimes crops up. And I know that's against God's way. I've mentioned being a worrier. My wife would attest that sometimes I have said things to her that have been hurtful. In a word, unloving. Once or twice. (laughs) I've been selfish. I've told you I've not done things that I know God intended me to do and missed his intent. And I've sinned. So the gal said, list all those things you know you've done wrong. And then understand, they come out of the very nature of who you are. I said, okay, I, you know, got that. Now go over, she said, and list all the things you know Jesus did wrong. And I, you know, having read the Bible a little bit, knew that Jesus was tempted in every way we were, yet the Bible says in Hebrews was without sin. So I said, well, you know, there's nothing to write. She said, that's right. I said, now what? She said, now. Just simply switch the names. Have you ever had that transaction occur? That's the free gift of God. We're sinners who can be made righteous by faith in Jesus. If you've never opened up your heart to him and received that gift, maybe this morning you could do it. I'm going to say a prayer, and the musicians are going to come and lead us in a special song. We're just going to listen to this song, and we'll have this time before the Lord where you, like David, could be honest about where you're at. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time and the opportunity we have to look into your word and have it revealed to us uh, what you've taught us. As we listen to this music now, I'm mindful that there are probably some here this morning who have never known the free gift of being made right with you. I pray that you would open up our hearts Help us believe and receive. And then for those of us who have done this, Lord, help us learn to more fully walk in the power of this new nature as your people. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.